Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come together as the body of Christ. We ask you to bless it and guide us as we look at your word. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Deuteronomy chapter 28, starting at verse 49. What was that again, Deuteronomy 28, starting at verse 49. Remember, we just spent the first part of the this uh, chapter was talking about the blessings and curses that God put in front of the people. And it ended with, you shall serve your enemies, which the Lord shall send against you, in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in want of things. So we're going to continue on verse 49. The Lord shall bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as eagles fly, a nation whose tongue you shall not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which you shall, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. He shall eat the fruit of the, your cattle and the fruit of your land until you, you be destroyed, which also shall not leave you either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of your kind or the flocks of your sheep until he has destroyed you. And he shall besiege you in all your gates until, until your high and fenced walls come down, wherein you trust throughout all your land, and he shall besiege you in the day in your gates throughout all your land, which the Lord your God hath given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and daughters, which the Lord your God has given you, in siege and in straightness, therein wherewith your enemies shall distress you. Oh, that man, oh, so that the man of tender among you and very delicate, his eyes shall be evil toward his brother and toward his wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave. So he that he will not give to any of them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat, because he has nothing left to him in the siege, and in the straightness wherein your enemies shall distress you in all your gates. The tender and delicate woman among you, which would not adventure to set her soul of her foot on upon the ground for delicateness and tenderness, her eyes shall be evil toward her husband of her bosom, and toward her son, and toward her daughter, and toward the young one that comes out from between her feet, and be toward her children which she shall bear for she shall eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege in the straightness wherein your enemy shall distress you in your gate if you will not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book that you may fear the glorious and fearful name the Lord your God so let's just take a look at this because there's quite a bit here Did this, I yes Yes, it, it, does, it was a picture of cannibalism, and that happened on several occasions in, in Israel. So we're going to look at this. Uh, he says, if you're not going to obey me, he says, I'm going to bring an enemy upon your land from afar. Now, this happens to them in the book of Judges on several occasions. They had the Philistines. They had the Edomites. They had the Moabites. They had all kinds of people take over their land and put them under subjection. After they get a king... The Philistines bother them frequently. The, the Syrians bother them frequently. Uh, they look into problems. That the tribe of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, is going to be conquered by Assyria. And there's going to be all of these things that God's talked about in this prophecy is going to happen to them. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come along and he's going to besiege them and they're going to have the same thing happen to them. This is something that has happened to the Jewish people over and over and over again and probably is a picture of the tribulation period when they will be besieged and attacked as well 
when they reject the Antichrist, when he stands in the temple and says, I am, I am God, worship me, and they flee, they flee from him, and then they are chased after him to be, to be conquered. So we see this over and over again. But it says that he's going to bring a nation, a strong nation, it says in verse 50, a fierce nation, a fierce countenance that shall not regard the person of old nor show favor to the young. So he's basically saying they're not going to be paying any attention. Young or old, they're not going to care. They're going to come and kill. And this is really what happens in war, period, especially when a city was besieged in their day. You, what would end up happening if you had a walled city? They did not have the strong weapons that we have to blow the walls to pieces. So what they did is they would circle those cities and basically starve them to death. And that was their goal, starve them to death. And if they had no water, make them go thirsty. So the whole purpose was to, well, your idea was to get them to, to surrender, and, but you would do it through hunger and thirst. Uh, you wouldn't also just leave them alone. You'd be shooting catapults over the wall into the city to do damage or fireballs sometimes. They would shoot fire into the city to catch fire. And if there's not enough water in the city to put the fire out and drink, then the, fire, the city would burn inside the walls. So even while they had you encircled with these things, they did not make life easy for you inside. So you had these nice strong walls, you thought you were protected, and yet, given enough time, you'd starve to death. Uh, this happened on uh, several occasions. We uh, think about, I believe it was Hezekiah, whose city was circled, and they said the, the, a donkey's head was selling for a huge amount of money, and the prophet said, tomorrow you'll have all the food you want, and of course nobody really believed him because there's a huge army outside, and God struck the army dead overnight. So, but that was the way battles were fought back then, because you didn't have the power or the strength to knock the walls down, you starved the people which meant old and young suffered greatly inside that city. Many times that this has happened, uh, that they were in, encircled. But it says in verse 51, you shall, they shall eat the fruit of your cattle and the fruit of your land until you are destroyed, and they shall not leave you either corn nor wine nor oil nor increase in your kind. Kind is another word for cattle, uh, cows. It's an old English word for cow, or a German word for cow is, is the same word. Uh, the flocks of your sheep until he le until you have destroyed until he has destroyed you. So in other words, he's going to basically consume everything, and this again happened to them several times. If you think about the story of Gideon, Gideon is in a wine press threshing his wheat because the uh, enemy kept coming in and stealing it every time they would harvest their food. They'd come in and steal the harvest, and Gideon's in the wine press trying to trying to. Uh, thresh his wheat and if you think about it how did you thresh wheat you threw it up in the air and the wind blew the chaff away so here he is throwing things up and it's coming straight back down because there's no wind in the wine press to blow the chaff away so he's kind of a exercise in futility in, in essence as he's throwing things up and hoping some of it might blow somewhere other than straight back down and but God says they're going to come and take what you have and this is what conquerors do. They take what you have. And we see this over and over all through history. No matter what error you're looking at, the conquerors come in and they take the best of your land and basically leave little to nothing behind for the people that have been conquered. And we see it over and over again in Israel's history. And it was prophesied 
God said, if you're not going to obey me, this is what's going to happen. And yet they didn't obey him. But, you know, we, we like look at this sometimes. We think, well, how bad they are. But, you know, how much the same are we? God says, here's your blessings if you just obey. And we go out and we do exactly what we want to anyway so often and get the curses from God and then wonder why we have curses because we've been disobedient and we go, well, gee, everything's been going bad. I don't know why. You know, the, person, the person who won't honor God with, a, with their, with their, with their uh, income and with their stuff and God says, okay, you're not honoring me. I'm going to take my tithe anyway and some. You don't want to worship me? Okay, well, you can be miserable for a while. We'll help you get more miserable. It's really amazing to me how God will increase the bad on us when we're being disobedient, as well as blessing, give it, increasing the good when we're being obedient. And we're going to get to it, but there's a reason for that, and we're going to get to that when we get to that verse. But, but it is true. When we are disobedient, God increases the bad that comes our way because he wants us to change but he also is holy and righteous and wants to show his holiness and righteousness and saying you're going to disobey here's my here's my holiness coming against you oh you're being obedient here's my mercy you're not going to get what you, even what you deserve because you are being obedient and this is the goal that God has put in them you got a blessing in front of you or a curse and if you choose the curse be happy with what you got because you you deserve it and we oftentimes deserve much of what comes in our life. Much of what comes in our life we deserve because we have done things that deserve it. It's only by his mercy that we get anything good in our life because of how much he loves us and loves to show his mercy because we are his children and, and he's put us in Christ and he sees perfection. And he says, here's my mercy because you're choosing to be obedient. And the more we choose to be obedient, the more blessing we get. And the more we be disobedient, over and over again, he says, disobedience is going to bring all these bad things upon us. And again, every time something bad happens to us does not necessarily mean I've been disobedient and deserve it because sometimes we just are being tested by God to see, are we going to trust him? But our first goal, anytime we're going through trials and tribulations, the very first thing we should look and say, God, have I been disobedient and do I deserve this? And if we do, then we repent and we just bear under it until God has decided to be fat enough and will bless us. If we don't, we go, okay, God, thank you. I'm, help me pass this test and go forward in the test. But we also need to look very, very clearly at our life and say, okay, God, yes, I deserve this. I, I confess that I've been wrong and I'm willing to take the punishment because punishment is part of the results of doing wrong and should be in our families. When you were raised, your parents hopefully disciplined you when you were disobedient. When you were raising kids, hopefully you disciplined your kids when they were being disobedient. Why? Not because you enjoyed making, making them suffer and put them through pain, but you knew that they needed to grow and associate pain with bad activity. God will do that for us always. When we are disobedient, he will bring pain in so that the next time you get ready to make that decision, you go... I don't think the pain was worth the, worth the pleasure. I don't want to do it again. That is the whole purpose of discipline. The, the pain is severe enough that the next time we're tempted to do it, we go, no, I don't think so. I did not enjoy the punishment well enough to, I didn't 
didn't like the punish, uh, the, what I got out of it well enough to get over the punishment. And God will do that. And he's the perfect, perfect master at it. His punishment will always be greater than whatever joy we got out of it. Now, we as parents may not have been able to discipline our kids enough to put that punishment greater than the pleasure they thought, thought they were getting from their disobedience. But God's saying, here is your blessing. Verse 52 says, And he will besiege you in your gates until, they, until your high and fenced walls come down, wherein you trust throughout all the land. And lo, he shall besiege you in all your gates throughout the, all the land which the Lord your God hath given you. This takes us back to Zedekiah and Jehoiakiah, who we were talking about last night, when, when Ezekiel was prophesying that they were going to be taken into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar came in, circled the, circled the city of Jerusalem, starved them out. Je- Jehoiakiah surrendered, was taken into Babylon. Zedekiah was promoted. He was Zedekiah's uh, uncle. He was, pro- he was made to swear to, before God that he would be a good vassal and, and do what he was supposed to. And as soon as he had a little bit of time under his belt, he felt he was strong enough. He sent ambassadors to Egypt to try to get Egypt to help him battle against Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar went back to Jerusalem, re-besieged the city, same thing, starving them, the de- you know, starving them out. They didn't take the walls down at this time. But Zedekiah finally tried to escape. He got caught. He was taken into Babylon. And one of the prophecies said that Zedekiah would be taken into Babylon, but he would not see Babylon. Well, before they took Zedekiah to Babylon, they killed his sons in front of him and then poked out his eyes. And so he went to Babylon as a blind king and never saw Babylon, even though he spent the rest of his life in Babylon. Then there was another king put in, and eventually they tore down the walls and the temple because of the Jews' disobedience over and over. And this is where this is going to be fulfilled, when they finally get their walls torn down. Second time that they get their walls torn down is in 70 AD, when Rome comes into the disobedient Jewish people and tears down most of the walls and the, and the temple. So we see this being given more than once. God says, you're going to disobey, I'm going to judge. And we need to be always aware, how many times do we put up walls that we think are so strong around our life? Many of us have sin areas that we've kind of protected and we've made a little beachhead saying, okay, God, I'm going to give you everything but this little area of my life. I like this area of my life, God. And we build these walls around it and say, God, you can't have this, whatever that sin might be. And each person will know what your sin is that you kind of put this wall around and say, God, you can have everything but. Some people, it might be gossip. Some people, it might be just being lazy, gluttony, whatever it might be. We go, God, I like this one. I'm not giving it up. And God says, well, it's going to be a problem and you're going to be judged for it. And we need to be very careful about that, not to put walls up in our heart that says, I am going to protect this sin because God will besiege it. Verse 53 says, and you, shall eat, and you shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and daughters, which the Lord your God has given you in the siege and in the straightness wherein your enemies shall distress you, so that 
So that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eyes shall be evil toward his brother and toward his wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children which he shall leave. And he will not give them any of them the flesh of his children whom he shall eat because he has nothing left in the siege and the straightness wherein your enemy shall distress you in your gates. So again, the severity of your city being besieged. This has gone on many times throughout history, not just with the Jews, but all through history it has happened that because people were so hungry in the middle of this siege that they would literally start consuming each other. Yes, it, it has happened many, it's happened many times where people have gotten so hungry that they have consumed. And they said Donner Pass, you know, some crashes, uh, the besieging of cities all through history have had this happen. Because once you've eaten all the animals in your, that are in your, inside your city and whatever bugs you can find, you know, it, it gets to a place where you get so hungry because you've consumed every animal, you've consumed everything that is living, all the fruits, all the vegetables, and it's a choice of what do you eat or die. You know, you'd like to think that you would be willing to die, but who, you never know. And this is something you've got to be careful of. You never know what you're going to do until you're in the middle of the worst place that you can possibly be. As I've said for myself, I would like to believe that when I get faced with death or giving up God, that I will say, give me death. But again, we don't know what's going to happen until we're in the middle of that place. Because every one of us that's a good Christian will say, yeah, I'll surely God, I will die for you. And every one of us will mean it when we say it. So did Peter when he yeah, said, I will die for you. I will not deny you. And he says, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter denied Jesus three times. And as I've pointed out, he was ready to fight the Roman soldiers coming to take Jesus away on the arrest. And he's denying him to, to the women's servants and the little girl. Okay. We don't know what will happen, what we will stand for or not stand for until we get into the position where we have to do it. The more we practice confessing him, the easier it will be to confess him and be willing to die. The more we reject him in little ways, the quicker we will reject him when it comes to a big. If we can't confess God in front of people when nothing's at stake, when our life is at stake, we won't, we won't confess him. I can tell you that right now. If you won't confess him now for no, no and nothing major is going to happen, you won't confess him when, it, when your life is on the line. And it's even hard, you know, because you, you may, even if you are confessing him, it may still be a hard decision. And you, won't, and you won't confess him, you definitely won't confess him when your life is on the line. And this is something we have to keep in mind. You know, going and knocking on somebody's door and telling them about Jesus. When somebody's talking, out, talking about Jesus, that you go, hey, that's my Savior you're talking about. You know, if we, can't, if we can't talk about him in these situations, what will we do when it's time that we might lose our job or we might lose our life? And this is something that's very critical for us to understand. She said yes. Yeah, she said yes. yes, in Colorado, yeah. in that high school where she said, yes, I'm a Christian and got, got shot. But this is... She also had known ahead of time, if you read her from her diaries that have been, been given out, she knew that something was coming. She did not know what exactly, but she was already feeling and was talking with her friends about how you had to sacrifice for, for God, and she faced the ultimate sacrifice of her life. So that should give us the um, strength. This is why I recommend we read books like Fox's Book of Martyrs, where all these people said yes to God and ended up dying. 
Because when you die, people do get strength out of what your death when you die for Christ. And it's, all, it's been happening over and over. When the church is persecuted, the church grows because people are impressed that you have something that is worth dying for. Because they look at it and say, would I die for what I believe? And most people will say no. Most people will. There's a handful out there. There's a couple crazy people that will die for you know, the, the wrong things. But most people, when it really comes down to it, will not die. They definitely won't die for something they know is a lie. And if we know that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we should be willing to die for him. He died for us. And this is why it's important for us to lift God up always. Lift Jesus up. Because he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I don't want people to think that I'm a superstar or that I, that I have all this willpower. Because I don't. Without Christ, I'd be just like everybody else wanting to do the wrong things. And without Christ, my life would not have been changed the way it was when I was young. And I probably would have gone to prison for having killed somebody because of how bad my temper was. And he took that away and changed it. You know, without Christ, where would we be? We don't really want to think too much about that, but most every one of us would not be where we're at today. Definitely wouldn't be in this room, but we might not even be alive without him because of the sins that we were committing. And this is what's important. We lift him up, not to make us look good. It's like, you know, when I would be asked, why can you stay calm during under all this pressure? And it was a wonderful opportunity. I just, let me tell you about my God who gives me this peace and be able to tell, tell them about God. Be able to share with them the strength of who we are and why we're who we are and lift Jesus up. But we need to be able to do this. And this, talking about this cannibalism is really a pretty, pretty severe thing. In uh, 2 Kings 6, I'm going to read a couple pages, uh, bit of that story because this is one of the pictures of the cannibalism that came because of their disobedience. 2 Kings 6, starting at verse uh, 26. And the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall. There cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord do not help you, when shall I get, get help you? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine presses, because they've been besieged, they're hungry. And the king said unto her, What ails you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we'll eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And, said, and I said unto her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. And she had hid her son. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall. And the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth within him upon his flesh. Then he said, Go do so and more also to me, if the head of Elisha, the son of... Shaphat shall not stand on him in this day. Then it goes on to how they were delivered and everything. So, But this has happened here. We, we see this over and over. In Jeremiah 19, Jeremiah talks about the people being so hungry they're going to eat their, eat their children. Lamentations in, in, book, in chapter 2 and in chapter 4 talks about the eating of the children because they're so hungry because of the besieging of their cities. Uh, Ezekiel 5 talked about it as Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city that they ate their children. And we can't even picture how this can happen. But you know, when we think about this, how many times do people, when they're walking in, in sin, do things where they may not literally be eating their children, but they do things to take everything away from their children? And if they get really bad... There's people who will sell their children into, into uh, prostitution because they want the money for, for whatever it is. They can ignore their children. They can starve their children because they get so stuck in, 
in their drugs or their alcohol or their sin? Do they spend all their money upon everything except for the food for the kids? You know, we look at this and say, well, that would never happen. It still happens today. It still happens today. Well, they may not literally be eating their kids, but with what they're doing, they're hurting their kids so much that it would probably be better off for the kids if they were eaten rather than the suffering they have to go through. Billy first. We want to be very, very careful as we judge this because, like I say, very often when people are living deep in their own sin, they, they end up doing it. Maybe not the literal eating of their children, but they hurt the children so bad by the mistreatment of the children. And this is a sad place that kids get into and the way they are abused and, and misused so many times or sold into slavery just so you can get another year's worth of you know, money or something. You know, it, it happens and it's still happening today. And we want to be looking at this. God says this is the, rewar- the reward for sin is that the children suffer. And this is the sad thing, that children suffer when the adults in their life are deep into sin. And we see this over and over in our lifetime. When we're following our own desires, there's consequences. And we always think about, you know, well, God, nobody's hurting because I'm doing this sin. It's somebody always gets hurt. And if you're a parent, your children are going to suffer. You know, a lot of people in the world think that divorce is a victimless crime. You know, it's you know, not, even, not even a crime. It's just victimless. The children suffer greatly in a, in a divorce. Suffer greatly in a divorce. In their st- picture of stability, the vindictiveness of the two individuals that get involved with it. And the children suffer in many ways. And it's very sad. And the damage that's been done to these children is, is very major and Satan is destroying families why does he want to destroy families because he wants to destroy the picture of God and the family that he puts in God the father if he can destroy the picture of a marriage by by having divorce and usually it gets blamed a lot on the fathers and probably more often than not it's the father who gets the wandering eye occasionally it's the wife but but we see people look at that and say well father fathers abandon you and God is the Father. It makes it hard for people to trust God as Father because they look and say, well, Father, my Father abandoned me. He left the house. He, he mistreated me. He abused me. All these things that happen to destroy the picture of a family and, and to p- destroy the picture of God as, as the perfect Father. Or a marriage. We're the, we as the church and Christians are the bride of Christ. Satan is working hard to destroy the picture of marriage to the point of, and it's really sad, that if you go on a marriage that lasts more than five years, everybody's always amazed anymore. And that's a very sad thing. It's bad enough, I think, when the world is amazed by a long marriage. It really bothers me when the, when the church is amazed at a, at a marriage lasts a while. Because we have totally bought into the world and the sin and the negative picture of, of marriage. And God says it's supposed to be for, for your life. And... You know, till death do us part, in sickness and in health, and wealth and, prosper, and, and poorness. You know, whatever it might be, we're supposed to stick together if we're following God and the way he does it. And yet, so many families have been destroyed, and it tears apart the kids in the process. You still see it more in the church than anywhere else where you're going to find somebody who's been married 40, 50, 60, 70 years, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful when we see that because that's the way it's supposed to be. 
and, and it's good to be able to look at them and saying, here is a godly couple that have, have been staying together, showing us what the picture is supposed to be like. And yet so many times we'll reject it and, and people get hurt, especially children. And this is why we need to be very careful with that. Verse 54 says, the, that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eyes shall be evil toward his brother and toward his wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children which he shall leave. He shall not give to them any of the flesh of the children whom he shall eat, because he has nothing left in him in the siege, and the straightness therein of your enemies shall distress him in your gates. So it says, even the most kind man will not look at his own family with, with love and compassion. And when he does get the children, he's not going to share them you know, because he's so hungry that he's willing to let everybody else die. And the, the next one's the same thing from the other side. The tender and delicate woman among you who would not adventure to set a sole of her foot upon the ground for delicateness and tenderness. This is a very petite lady. This would be the, the high-class, sophisticated woman who wouldn't do anything that wasn't womanly. You know, wouldn't go out barefoot, wouldn't, wouldn't dare go out, you know, with it. You know, this is the person he's talking about. You know, wouldn't, do, yeah, wouldn't get her fingernails dirty. He's not going to, not, going, not even going to get her soles of her feet dirty, okay? And her eyes shall be evil toward her husband of her bosom and toward her son and toward her daughter and toward her young one that comes out from between her feet and from toward her children, which she shall bear. She shall eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege and straightness, therein your enemy shall distress you in the gates. This is how bad this picture of this curse is. That even those who there would be no way that you could ever see, and this goes back to what we were saying, no way I would do that. These are the pictures of the people who, no way would they do that. Now, these delicate people who would never even hurt an animal themselves to go feed themselves are now really ready to kill their children. This is something we have to be very careful. We never know what we will do until we're in the middle of that situation, which is why God puts us in tests. All the time, he's going to put us in tests to say, do I believe what I believe? Am I going to stand on what I believe even when life is hard? And this is what I keep telling you. If, if you're learning something that God is teaching you, be ready for the test. If you're learning to love people and God has put it on your heart to learn to love people, I can guarantee that somebody that is very hard to love is coming into your life very soon. And God is going to test you. Here's, a, here's, a, here's somebody, they're really easy to love. You know, they're very hard to love. And it's like, are you going to love them? Are you going to love that person and be kind to them? If you're learning to tithe and give God your tithe, the very first thing that always happens when you start tithing is it gets very difficult to make that month's payments because God's going to say, do you really believe that I will supply? Do you really believe it? Are you willing to give the gift even though it makes it look like you can't manage? Very tough. Very tough. When God's teaching you to give mercy to people, somebody's going to do something to you that's very hard to forgive. Very hard to forgive, and you're going to have to say, oh, man, God, do I really have to forgive this person and show them mercy? Not this person. Why can't it be somebody nice and it's easy to forgive? They're only knowing something really small. Nope. 
when you are learning something, the test will be one that says, are you willing to go the, the whole way, no matter how difficult it seems? This is where the real test comes in. Because it's not a test. If, if somebody who's real easy to forgive you does something very small to you, it's pretty easy to forgive them, usually for most people. The hard thing is when somebody does something really that you really think is bad. You know, they really hurt you. And God says, now are you ready to forgive them? And usually our answer in our flesh is, absolutely no way, God. <laughs> they don't deserve it. I'm not going to forgive them. And God says, I forgave you. And he's saying, are you willing to do that? I passed the test because I demanded the person I wanted, I have to leave. And I have to be there. And... I was really, it made me feel good because I wasn't thinking about a test, but then I'm thinking before, I would have just said, oh, we can have another hour, but I need to go, you know. Exactly. And usually when you're in the middle of the test, you do not think it's a test when you're in the middle of it. You don't realize it was a test until you get to the end of it and realized I passed or I failed. And that's when you really realize that you just went through a test. No curve. You either pass it or fail it, and if you fail it, you get to do it over again. And not even the same exact one because it'll again, when, it, when the test comes in front of you, you're not normally going to recognize it as no, the yes, test. You you, it's not until you, pass, you know, get past the test and say, oh, I did what I was supposed to, or man, I screwed up again and failed again. But you feel so good. I felt good, not like, you know, bragging, but I just felt good like, I did it. You should feel good when, you've, when God has given you the strength to pass the test and you've been faithful. Don't get proud in it, no, but, no, do, no, no, no. but feel good about because having passed a test. test yeah, or other ones similar to yeah, it. Other ones similar to or it. the next harder one. The tests just keep getting harder. And this is, I don't want to discourage people from it, but the tests keep getting harder. When you pass it, the next test is going to be a harder test to say, are you really still truly going to believe me? So, and this is why we need to be also careful when we look at people who are, fail some small test. Well, I can tell you one thing about it is, to them it wasn't a small test. And it probably wasn't a small test to you 10 years ago when you would have gone through and failed the same test. We need to have loving kindness to those who are failing tests because their test that we look at and say, well, that's so simple, it wasn't simple when we were there many years earlier, and we need to be able to encourage and, and help them. Because your tests just keep getting harder as you grow. Otherwise, they won't be a test. But they're no harder than they were the first time, okay? They're not like this monstrous mountain, but you know they always look like a mountain when you face them. God, I just don't see any way how I'm going to pay my bills and if I give you my tithe because this huge mountain of debt is in front of me. And you give God the tithe, and you get to the other side and go, what was I worried about? That really wasn't that much money in the first place. You know, have you ever noticed that when you pass a test and look back on the problem, you, it doesn't look near as big after you've passed it than, before, than when you were trying to make the decision to pass the test, whether to fail or not? All tests, all test when you're looking at it, look hard, look big. And you think about this, whether, whether it was the, if you're into sports, it could be the first time, if you're a baseball or softball player, it's that first time you, you face the, the number one pitcher in the league. Real test, right? You know, can I hit off this, off this pitcher? How will I do against somebody who who's, seems to be better? 
All these tests will always look very big when we start facing them. Always. And they keep going to, they're going to keep getting harder, and they're always going to look the same. They're always going to look like a giant in front of you when, it's, when you're facing it. How do we face the giants? We face them just like David did. You know, he goes, you've insulted God. You haven't insulted me. You've insulted God. How dare this uncircumcised Philistine speak against God? He'll be just like the bear and the lion that I, that I beat. And he goes out in the strength of God and defeats the enemy. We need to keep in mind, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can do nothing in our own strength. God won't let us do anything in our own strength because we go out in it and it's, he is the one that will give us victory. And he'll make sure that the test is just strong enough that we cannot do it without him. That is, how, that is why as we grow, the test have to get harder. Because he says, okay, you've grown. You could do this on your own if I let you, and I'm not going to let you do it on your own. You're going to need me. And this is what it's always going to be. We always need him in everything we do. When we get facing problems that seem that monstrous, we're going to be, you know, what are you going to do? How are you going to follow him? And we can all think of times in our life where we faced some big, what we considered big problems and had to watch God work through those problems. And it's amazing to watch him. I love watching God get through the problems. And I've had many, many times where I've failed. And being a father, those times that I've failed have hurt my family. A husband and a father, when I fail, it hurts my family because they are the ones under that authority. And it's very important that we keep that in mind. The more people we're responsible for, the more people they get hurt when we fail. Because they're going to look, if nothing else, they're going to look and say, oh, you, you, you're not that strong. And that's a, that's a place where we want to be strong in Christ, always. All right, let's look in verse 58. If you will not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this, in this book, that you may fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord your God. I love this. Yeah, you, don't keep it, you don't keep it. Why? Because you don't even fear God. And I love it, the glorious and fearful name, the Lord your God. Yeah. If for no other reason we should be obedient because of our fear for God, our fear for punishment, if nothing else. You know, why do we punish our kids so that they will be obedient because they don't want the punishment in the future? God punishes us for just that reason in the hopes that we won't want the punishment in the future. And because I fear a God... I will be obedient to him. Now, ultimately, I should obey him because I love him. Not because I'm afraid of what he's going to do to me if I disobey. You know, he'll take that. That's what this verse says. He'll take that. If that's the only reason you'll obey is because you're afraid of him, he'll take that. Ultimately, he wants, to be, he wants us to be obedient because we love him so much that we've surrendered totally to him. Ultimately, that's the best obedience We've surrendered to him. He's changing who we are. And we become more like him because of our love for him. If, all, if the only reason I do it is because I don't want to have all the bad stuff happen to me, he'll take that. He'll take that. Eventually, he'll hope that it'll develop into love. And for, the, for our kids, usually their obedience comes in their early years just because they don't want the spanking. They don't want the time out. They don't want their toys taken away. You know, that's the only reason they're being obedient. They, doesn't, they don't care about the parent at all hopefully, as they get to be older, 
they get the they get this. Well, I just want to honor my parents. I want to be kind to my parents. I want to. I, I love my parents, and I want to do something that blesses my parents, and they do it for the right reason. But even at that, we're even as parents, we would love it to be out of loving loving obedience. But if uh, all, if it's fearful obedience, then we'll take that because they'll stay out of trouble. Either way, they stay out of trouble. God's saying, either way, you're going to stay out of trouble. Whether you're doing it because you're scared to death of me that I'm going to punish you, or that you're doing it because, I love, because of our love for each other. He'll take it either way, because the consequences are still going to be good for the obedience. Verse 59 says, Then the Lord will make the plagues wonderful, and the plagues of your, on, of your seed, even great plagues, and of long continuance and sore sickness and long continuance. Moreover, he will bring you upon you all the diseases of Egypt which you were afraid of, and they shall cleave unto you. Also every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of the law, then will the Lord bring upon you until you be destroyed. We're talking about serious consequences that God is capable of. He says that he will send your plagues wonderful. And this wonderful is miraculous. It doesn't, it's not the English word wonderful, but miraculous and hard. So he's going to send plagues. And the plagues on your seed, on, on your children, and plagues, and, and then it says, of long continuance and sore sickness and long continuance again. So he says that twice. How often when we get something judgment for our sin, does it have long-term effects on our life? Sometimes very long-term. Somebody goes out and has one illicit affair and ends up either pregnant or with a sexually transmitted disease and they suffer the rest of their life with the consequences of that one activity. Somebody goes out and gets drunk or gets high and goes out and drives and wrecks their car and gets hurt severely or kills somebody else. Now, it's bad enough that they get hurt just themselves or they do damage to somebody else. Even worse, long-term effect of your sin. Both lives are changed. Huh? Both lives are changed and your life is changed and... And all these things, he says, when you sin, there are consequences, and it can last a long time. He says, these sicknesses and every plague, which is not written in this book, then will the Lord bring upon you, and you until you be destroyed. He goes, so even if he forgot to mention something, he goes, if it's bad, it'll happen, or can happen. We need to be so careful that we do not look at sin lightly. There are many people who are Christians that say, well, I'm, I'm going to be forgiven. It doesn't matter what I do. God's going to forgive me. I hate that attitude because it really shows that they don't understand God's love or his heart, and they don't understand the consequ- that consequences follow sin. Yes, God will forgive you. Absolutely, he'll forgive you. He'll forgive us of every single thing that we could possibly do. There may be long-term consequences that we have to deal with, though. Even though he's forgiven us, there can be consequences that last for a long time in our life. Somebody who drinks all their life may get away with it seemingly until they find out that their liver has been destroyed. And they die at a younger age because their liver has been destroyed and they've got cirrhosis of the liver. And it's dead and dying and going to kill them. People abusing their bodies with food and end up getting diabetes and then all the other problems with diabetes that come along with diabetes 
with the numbness of your feet and the loss of your eyesight and all the other things that can happen. Why? Because you misused sugar primarily and your gluttony used way too much sugar. Now there are a handful of people who get diabetes or cirrhosis without having done anything to deserve it. They're rare and far and few between. And again, God says there's consequences. There's consequences to sin. And we need to be careful of that. Verse 62 says, And there you shall be left few in number, whereas you were the stars of the heaven for the multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So he says, I'm going to reduce you. How many times has Israel had its population greatly reduced because of their disobedience to God? And watch them go from large populations down to very small population that get scattered around the world. On two different occasions, they've been scattered around the world. Assyria and Babylon, I count that as one because it was within a few hundred years of each other. And then in the Roman collapse, they were scattered among, among the world. And then they've been gathered together twice. They were gathered together to be brought back as a nation. And God has done great miracles with his people. But there's been great judgment and great trials. And we are going to stop here because I do not want to start the next verse without having time to talk about it. We're going to stop at 62. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to look at your story. Lord, help us to always understand the seriousness of sin, that we will be able to take your word seriously when you say to be honest and, and upright. Lord, if there's anybody that listens to this that doesn't know you, we ask that you convict them of their sins. Let them understand that they deserve punishment, that you have a gift of life, that all they have to do is ask, repent and ask you for your, you to come into their life. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.